Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America, AOA. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on today's program, we are going to talk about the Paraguayan beef import issue here in just a second with Kent Backus from the NCBA. Coming up at segment two, we'll have a conversation with American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval. In segment three, we'll take a look at markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. And then we'll wrap up the show with a look at news headlines here today. AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, like Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. I don't want to waste any time. Let's get into our conversation today with the Executive Director of Government Affairs with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Kent Backus, as we talk about the Paraguayan beef import issue. Some new legislation announced this past week here in Congress as well, looking at this. And Kent, thanks for making the time to join us here today to talk about what is going on with this Paraguayan beef import issue. Uh, hey, appreciate the opportunity. This is a, a big issue for us and happy to give you an update about uh, what's going on. Well, I know earlier in the week we had uh, many uh, representatives sent a letter to USDA uh, talking about this issue as they're looking to allow beef imports from Paraguay and then also legislation introduced in the Senate by uh, Mike Rounds and John Tester to block Paraguay and beef imports. So, uh, just uh, for starters, talk about some of the movement on Capitol Hill uh, regarding this issue, Kent. Well, I think, you know, the, the actions from Capitol Hill are a reflection of the sensitivity of this issue in the countryside. Uh, you know, it, it's no surprise that you have such strong bipartisan and bicameral support for stopping Par- Paraguayan beef imports. Uh, because you know they've been hearing from producers or con- who are concerned and, and rightly so about the the prospects of a country that that has questionable standards uh, now having access to the U.S. market and potentially jeopardizing the great image that we have built for beef in the United States. So you know we were happy to see uh, you know uh, a letter from uh, Congressman Tracy Mann and Jim Costa uh, leading that over in the House side. Uh, and then the uh, the legislation with Senator Rounds and Senator Tester, and I think just the fact that you have you know members of Congress, uh, members of the Senate from all over the country who are engaging on this, shows that this is not an isolated concern. That this is something that the entire countryside is concerned about, and it's not going to go away. Uh, this is something that uh, we we need the administration to address, and we're going to continue to put it in front of them until they actually you know, listen and engage and address the concerns that we have raised time and time again. Well, and I know those concerns for folks who maybe aren't up to speed completely on the issue. Paraguay has a long history of foot and mouth disease in their beef herd. And, you know, USDA coming in here saying they want to allow beef imports. And I know a lot of the concern from groups like NCBA is that USDA is seemingly using a lot of outdated data here to support allowing beef imports, right? And that's the big concern is the fact that, you know, USDA has has gone through this uh, approval process and, you know, they're saying, look, we followed the rules. We're, we we know that there's this whole process. Paraguay's gone through all these steps. So now we're just, we're going to grant them access. But we've raised a lot of concerns about the quality of the information that was gathered in that application process. Keep in mind, the Food Safety Inspection Service and APHIS both have to approve Paraguay for imports. We were able to review the, the, the FSIS review on the food safety side. It looks like, you know, that it looks like that, that Paraguay is compliant on that side. And, and that's because there are there's recent data in actual on-the-ground visits to back all that up. They're able to go in and see that that process is working. However, on the APHIS side, we're talking about the animal health side. They have a risk assessment that USDA conducted that was based off of site visits from 2008 and 2014. And when they published uh, this notice uh, in May, we raised a lot of questions about what USDA, about the, uh, the justifications that USDA was looking at. And, uh, you know, one of the big concerns was not only the, 
the, the quality of the information that was gathered, but also the fact that you know Paraguay relies heavily on the private sector to fund all of their foot and mouth disease mitigation measures. We're talking 85% of the funding that Paraguay needs to have their FMD, their FMD foot and mouth disease safety standards. That comes from cattle sales, from uh, all kinds of other private sector uh, uh, contributions. That doesn't come from the government. So when you have a country that has a devastated economy like Paraguay, they have for the last five or so years, it really calls into question the consistency of the funding and of the ability of their country to provide an equivalent level of safety. These are concerns that we raised directly with USDA. They brushed them aside, didn't provide uh, what we thought were robust enough reasons or even just you know common sense uh, justifications. And so when we talk about this and, and alert everybody else to, to what's going on here, uh, you know, words started to get around. Uh, you know, it didn't take long for members of Congress to hear about this too and to start hearing from their producers and they decided to get engaged. So this is this is not something that can just be, uh, these are not just concerns that can be set aside or you know put on the back burner. This is something that is front and center. Uh, this is gonna continue to get attention because you know starting here in the next uh, couple of weeks, Paraguay is gonna have that access. They're gonna be able to start putting, you know, uh, that uh, putting those shipments on water and coming in here during the first quarter of next year. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a concern. This is something that uh, you know, we're going to have to watch very closely. Uh, we're in, we definitely are going to hold USDA accountable uh, once those shipments start coming through. Keep in mind, when Brazil got access here, they had they had significant violations on the food safety side. They were finding all kinds of foreign material. Uh, they found broken needles and fecal matter and other things like that in the product itself, and that ended up uh, it resulting in Brazil being shut down for about mm -hmm. eighteen months. So they could go through that approval process. I I expect you know Paraguay may have similar issues. We're definitely going to be watching very closely, looking at all of those public reports on rejected shipments, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna hold USDA accountable on this. I think you know it's important as an industry that we continue to make sure that anybody that has access here lives up to our standards and doesn't compromise the the reputation that we have built for beef in the United States. I know you guys talk about this on a new episode of your Beltway Beef podcast, but also, Kent, I think it's important uh, at this time and this juncture for folks to uh, make sure their voices are heard with their uh, their congressmen and women and senators about this issue, right? That's exactly right. I think that's that's the important thing is the fact that, you know, the, the men and women that are, that are producing our cattle on a regular, uh, on a daily basis are out there and they're doing everything right. And because of that, we've been able to build a very, very strong reputation with U.S. consumers and consumers around the world. And we just want to make sure that anyone else from any other country that gets that USDA stamp of approval doesn't compromise that reputation that we have built. And so that's what we're doing here. And that's all we ask of our government is that they hold everybody to the same standards that, that, that we're held to. And uh, we think that's the best course of action. That's why we're asking USDA to hit pause on this and get their facts straight and get some boots on the ground out there to confirm that Paraguay is not going to be a threat to the U.S. beef supply and most importantly to the U.S. cattle producers and consumers. Well, we're up against the clock. Kent Backus with NCBA. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA. We'll be back with more here on the program brought to you by Cenex right after this. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Joining us now on the program, pleased to have a conversation with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Zippy Duvall is back with us on the show. Zippy, it's great to talk with you again. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I understand you're doing some traveling here this week. So thanks for making time to join us. Well, thank you, and I am doing some traveling. I'm uh, out meeting with our uh, members, our grassroots members in their state conventions, and we're going to make about 11 this year, and that gives me exposure to all our county presidents and their boards, and uh, it's just a good time to hook up with them. Definitely. Well, I'm sure a good time to hear about some of their concerns, things that they are wondering about, uh, maybe on Capitol Hill and more, and uh, I bet farm bills coming up in that discussions, or those discussions you're having out there, Zippy. Let's talk about that. We got the extension of the 2018 Farm Bill, of course, giving us a little bit of certainty, but uh, we want to get a five-year Farm Bill across the finish line. What's some of the latest you are hearing, uh, not only from members, your grassroots members, about what they want to see getting a Farm Bill done, but in terms of what you're hearing from Capitol Hill right now? Well, for my members, we just want to make sure that we get it done in the first quarter and, and that we do it right. And, you know, getting it right is more important than the timing of it. But we all know that if we don't get it done before the election gets cranked up uh, heavy in the summer, that we probably won't get it done. So that it's important for us to tell our congressmen and senators the urgency of of what where we're at and, and how we need to get that done and, and try to move forward with uh, – uh, updating the Title I program so that it is a true safety net and to make sure that we uh, continue to support crop insurance and broaden it to give all our farmers that risk management tool that they deserve. Uh, in in Washington, uh, you know, I have some optimism. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the Senate uh, Ag uh, Chairman, uh, Chairman Stabenow, uh, she's already announced her retirement, and I feel sure that she is not going to want to go home uh, without having a new five-year farm bill. So I think that's a big plus for us and should make us optimistic. And then the, on the other hand, uh, in the House, the, the, our new speaker uh, uh, has, uh, you know, with all the 
uh, issues on his plate that he could make a priority. He's made a farm bill one of his priorities, and he announced that day one when he took office. And, and I think that should give us a lot of optimism about getting this done and getting it done on time. Are you worried at all at this point that you brought up the presidential election and whatnot? Are you worried that if this drags beyond the first quarter of next year that we'd have to look at another year-long extension of the farm bill, the 2018 farm bill, Zippy? I most certainly am worried about that because I know how badly we need to look at the current farm bill and be able to update it. And, you know, our farmers need that certainty and they need a a, a really good uh, uh, safety net that they can depend on that is modernized. Uh, our lending institutions are going to expect it. So, and our rural communities are needing that certainty. So it, it goes way beyond uh, just uh, just farmers themselves. And, and, you know, and it stretches on to every American family across this country. You know, 80% of that is spent on nutrition programs that hits into our schools and make sure we're there to support the families that need a hand up during difficult times of their life. It, it touches every American family by keeping food cheaper at the store. And, uh, and, uh, and so we, we want to make sure that we get it done and get it done right on time. So that certainty, every American family can have that certainty that agriculture is going to continue to be strong and be able to fill their pantries with great quality food. I know USDA's farm income forecast uh, showing a drop in 2023 income. As you are traveling around the country here during meeting season, uh, are you hearing concerns from farmers and ranchers about uh, just some of the the constraints? I would say uh, on income, interest rates. You know, continue to be a high interest rate environment, high input costs, things like that. Are those things that you're hearing as potential concerns as you travel around the country, Zippy? Yes, once uh, once we get through talking about the farm bill and 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 the necessity of getting that done, that that's always the next topic that they talk about is the cost of doing business and and what inflation is doing to them. So uh, it, it very much is a topic, and, and you know, and they they're concerned about the way the uh, commodity prices have went. Uh, of course, we we got a little better fertilizer price and fuel price, but uh, it's not, and we got high production, higher high production our varieties of seeds are really producing well and and we've had a good crop but but it doesn't overcome the cost of uh, uh cost of production that we're putting into this, these crops so uh it is is high on the list of what they talk about and uh right after farm bill i know too uh we've seen some trade front uh, news here recently just in the last week or two uh, of course the highlight there was the usmca dispute panel uh, on dairy between the u.s and canada ruling in favor of canada's dairy tariff rate quotas and i know uh, uh, many folks in agriculture disappointed with that ruling and that news and i know uh, you and and the folks there at american farm bureau federation among those groups who are disappointed in that news could you talk about that a little bit i know it's uh, detrimental for our dairy farmers here across the country zippy well it definitely sets the wrong tone we have a what we thought was is a good usmca agreement uh, with uh, uh, the enforcement arm that we could hold people accountable and hold them to the, uh, and then then we get in this situation and rule and go against us. So we're we're extremely disappointed and and uh, we're going to continue to voice that disappointment and continue to push forward on on the issues that we have and it doesn't just stop it there. It also goes to the situation in Mexico with the corn. And, uh, and and crop protection tools that they're going to prevent from being corn being shipped in down there. So you know it, it's not it's not just dairy, but just to know that we got a great agreement uh, with enforcement arms in it, and and then they don't use them correctly. We're very disappointed in that. Do you believe that the current administration uh, thinking about these trade issues that we're facing? Uh, I know some folks have said they believe the current administration's not being tough enough on enforcement of current trade deals, let alone finding new free trade agreements. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that's the case right now? Well, you know, the bottom line is we need access to mar- open, open the market so they can give us access to the market. And uh, if they can 
be successful in doing that, then we would be supportive. But we, we don't think the direction they're going is giving us that access to the market that we deserve and need to be able to move forward. I want to ask you about one thing, too. Uh, coming up in January, the 2024 American Farm Bureau Convention will be in Salt Lake City, Utah. I know uh, you guys have announced the keynote speaker, Greg Harden, uh, is going to be talking. And I know uh, he used to be at uh, counseling a lot of student athletes at the University of Michigan. That's just one of the, the big highlights of convention. Talk about your excitement uh, for the upcoming American Farm Bureau Convention uh, in January. Well, you know, we're coming off a great convention that we had in Puerto Rico, and everybody enjoyed the warm weather. We're going to go to a, a cooler climate, and uh, and I think it's going to draw uh, uh, a lot of people, and we're excited about being in Salt Lake. Uh, we have great speakers that, that you just mentioned, uh, uh, and, you know, we're at, at a stage where we're, our theme is going to be taking on new frontiers, and, and uh, uh, we, we think that that, that speaker is going to relate to that very well. And we've got some uh, really great breakout sessions that are going to be held uh, that our farmers and, uh, and ranchers can take advantage of and maybe learn something that they can take home to their uh, to their own farms and apply it on their own farms. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, every year, the, the most important thing that we do at our convention is policy development and policy making. And we're looking forward to our members updating our policy book to give us that roadmap to work from in 2024. And, and that is the meat of our conference. But outside of that, there'll be a lot of good fellowship, meeting a lot of old friends, making new friends, and a lot of good food eating. And I think everybody's going to have a great time. So we're very excited to be going to Salt Lake. I know folks can learn more on the event website, annualconvention.fb.org. And uh, again, the 105th American Farm Bureau Federation Convention happening in Salt Lake City, Utah, January 19th through the 24th. We've been talking today with the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, and uh, really appreciate the time. We'll let you get back to uh, your travels and safe travels, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for what you do. We appreciate the opportunity to share. And once again, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, joining us here on Agriculture of America today. Always good to have a conversation uh, with President Duvall about uh, what is happening across rural America and with the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a dive into the market trade, talking ahead of the December WASDE report. But nonetheless, we're going to get some perspective on what's been going on in this market trade action here the last couple of weeks. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, will join us next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more on the way right after this. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870 you'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. Grains and oil seeds are mixed this morning, but mostly higher. Soybeans are leading the upside. Soybean oil made a big move higher yesterday and a higher close today would confirm a buy signal from the bullish engulfing bar chart pattern. 
Higher-than-expected soybean oil demand for October was one catalyst, and we could see a change on soybean oil demand in today's WASD report. Now, the higher palm oil and crude oil markets early today are positive inputs. Malaysian palm oil futures jumped over 1% on Friday, and China's Dalian exchange prices for soybean oil and palm oil reflected gains of 2.3% for bean oil and 3.4% for palm oil. The soybean meal market has been beaten up as of late, but the higher trade early today would be the second consecutive. Soybeans are also getting a boost from some of the weather prospects in South America. Nothing is going to come easy in center-west Brazil, with that weather pattern continuing to walk that fine line between disaster and a record crop. Now, the rains have been very uneven, unlike the typical monsoon rains, and therefore some are blessed with very healthy crops, while a short distance away the crops are dying. Now, the markets only care about how the good and the bad all add up, and so far the local private estimates suggest that they add up to an adequate crop to meet demand without raising U.S. exports. Meanwhile, export demand for corn and wheat continues to come in on a regular basis, led by China. This may be a sign that we put a near-term low in the market behind us. Soft red winter wheat has been the biggest beneficiary of the China business as of late, with hard red winter wheat still needing to find more business. All eyes, though, will be on USDA's December WASD today. We'll most likely see some downward revision in Brazil's corn and soybeans, but we could also see some minor changes for Canadian and Australian wheat and even possibly for Russian exports. The VIX is trading below 13 this morning, while the dollar index is following Treasury yields higher on that data release. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, Supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for staying with us here on AOA, brought to you today by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that is fueled by innovation, powered to perform with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. All right, now let's take a look at what is happening in the market trade. Joining us for a conversation. I know my coffee cup is full and ready as we get ready to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Arlen, great to have you back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. I am. It's good to be back and uh, talking to you again, Jesse. Well, let's uh, take a look at this market trade, Arlen. I know that you and I are talking ahead of the December WASDE report, mostly green on the screen uh, across grades of livestock on Friday morning. Uh, it's been uh, kind of an interesting uh, mixed bag this week uh, in this grain and oilseed trade. I know we got more SRW wheat sales to China announced on Friday morning. That's what, four out of five days, I believe, of uh, SRW sales that has really kind of been driving this wheat market, Arlen. Yeah, a month ago we were saying we really need to pick up some export demand for soft red winter and hard red winter wheat. We've done a good job of that with soft red winter wheat and a little bit with hard red winter. We still need to pick up quite a bit more demand on the hard red winter wheat, though. Um, but we're making progress, and that's encouraging. A uh, little bit of buy the rumor, sell the fact in the Chicago wheat market this morning as it trades lower on that news. But overall, the bottom line is here that uh, a lot of players, both end users and speculators, see signs that maybe we put in a bottom, at least for now. 
And so the speculators who had big short positions have been covering. The end users are saying, hey, let us buy down here before it gets any higher. And that includes China. China always makes headlines. And once China buys, then others think maybe we better get in too because we don't know how much they may buy. So that's generally been supportive. Does it change balance sheets for soft red winter wheat? Yes. For corn, not really. Uh, for soybeans, we're trading weather, but uh, that's a different story altogether. So when we look at this kind of bottoming action in the corn and wheat markets, uh, we'll take it and uh, hope that it holds and uh, the ex- export demand is starting to show some improvement. Well, of course, uh, the December WASDE report, uh, typically kind of a non-event for U.S. domestic balance sheets uh, year in and year out. I know there could be some minor tweaks and changes, uh, but it's typically uh, in a report that we watch the South American numbers a a little bit more. And I know CONAB out with some changes uh, to their estimates on Brazil production on Thursday ahead of USDA's numbers, Arlen. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and generally production estimates are going down for Brazil, and that's to be expected with the dryness they have in the center-west area of Brazil. That's the more we commonly know as Mato Grosso and surrounding areas. That's a very large area. Rains have been below normal. Now, normal rainfall is quite a lot. If you look at Mato Grosso, they normally get about nine inches of rain in the month of December. Um, so you can have 50% of normal rainfall and, and still get enough to produce a crop if temperatures aren't too extreme or in the distribution's good. Distribution has not been good. So you get some areas that are getting good rains with good crop potential. And then maybe 10 miles away, the crops are dying from lack of rain over the last 30 days. So you get a lot of variability. Overall, we're looking at above trend yields in the southern part of Brazil. And that's helping to offset the losses in the north at this point. We had really been mirroring very closely the 2015-16 growing season in, in the center west Brazil, really for all of Brazil. Uh, been very close to that. But as we come into December, we've started tilting a little bit wetter for center west than we were in the 15-16. And in 15-16, we overall were down about 8 or 9% from trend yields for the Brazil as a whole. Uh, so we're looking at being somewhat less than that, uh, a little bit of a benchmark. If we get a 10% drop from trend for the nation, then we'd be looking at 147 million metric ton crop. And right now, most of the production estimates are in the upper 150s uh, to somewhere in the low 160 million metric ton level. Uh, so we're still looking at uh, record production because of expanded area. In terms of the uh, corn market, uh, let's talk about this a little bit. I heard some chatter that there could have been a considerable considerable amount of farmers selling uh, when we were hitting December options expiration, and, and maybe some farmers sold the low, so to speak. And uh, now at this point, any you know corn left is uh, thrown in the bin and the doors are locked, and now basis is going to have to do the heavy lifting here to try and pull some uh, some farmer sales on the corn front. Uh, Can you talk about that? Did we see a fair amount of farmers selling around December options expiration, Arlen? No, we did see some, and, and we'll probably see quite a bit more move around the, when the new tax year starts on the 1st of January as well. And end users generally know that, so they tend to keep the basis offers ten, uh, somewhat soft, knowing that they'll probably get some more around the 1st of the year. And then those locked bin doors uh, really start to have an effect. You start firming things up beyond that. But once you get beyond that, then it really comes down to what are we doing export demand? Are we still looking at a $2 billion plus bushel carry out. What's the outlook for the new year, for the new growing season? Does it look like El Nino is going to hang around? Or are we going to come out of El Nino in years following an El Nino? We typically get good rains in the Midwest. Our soils are very dry right now, but if we get those spring rains, we could grow a good crop and build on those supplies. So farmers will be watching those things as they make their selling decisions and make their, you know, decide when to unlock those bin doors once again. Arlen, I know uh, let's pivot over to the economy and the outside markets. Watching uh, job numbers out on Friday. We got a Federal Reserve meeting coming up here this next week. And I know that's something that uh, a lot of folks on Wall Street are going to be paying attention to. 
Yeah, and the jobs report this morning was kind of overall, well, I guess it's good news is bad news type of a thing for the, for the markets, but it showed an unemployment rate that dropped to 3.7% below any of the trade guesses, um, and we created almost 200,000 jobs, which was more than what the trade anticipated. We were, trade was looking for 180,000 jobs. So that goes along with yesterday's weekly jobless claims numbers, where we saw continuing claims drop sharply, over 60-some thousand on the continuous. So that should suggest a tight jobs market rather than a loose jobs market and really kind of supports wage inflation. This morning's report also showing hourly wages starting to climb higher again, and, and that's uh, another part of wage inflation. And then I think another big surprise that just came out was the consumer sentiment numbers, where we saw a big 13% increase in December in consumer sentiment, erasing the losses of, of the last four months, which as uh, as we see gasoline prices drop, suddenly the consumer's bullish again about the economy. And they also mentioned an increasing number, mentioned the elections, and thinking maybe we'll, with the elections we'll get something more favorable for the economy as well. So suddenly the consumer has turned more upbeat, and when that happens, they start spending. And the bottom line is you put all these things together, that's not about to make the Fed get more optimistic about cutting rates because the Fed has said over and over again their biggest concern is not pivoting too soon like they did in 1980 when inflation came roaring back. And so they would rather err on too high for too long than pivot too soon. So the Fed meets next week. <clears throat> no no rate hike or cut is expected. The market had been expecting a rate cut starting in March. They're starting to back off of that a little bit now, and I think appropriately so. Uh, I'm not sure we'll get a rate cut at all next year, but if we do, probably late in the year, if any. And uh, I think so the market may be, end up being disappointed on that front. We are talking today with Arlen Suderman from Stone X. Arlen, let's go over to the livestock sector. This cattle market has been wildly volatile the last couple of weeks here, really since Thanksgiving, and uh, just seeing a lot of back and forth, wide swings in this trade, trying to find a, a new bottom, it feels like, here in both fats and feeders. Uh, what's your take on, on just this crazy action for lack of a better term we've been seeing in this cattle market here of, of late yeah we've taken almost 30 dollars off since late september mid to late september so it's been ugly in the cattle market um we still have the tight supplies we've just crunched them forward now and and the markets are pricing that in we've seen the funds really sell off a lot of their positions but we've had some days when we've had sharp losses in this market with open interest essentially not even changing and that suggests that it's the daily algo trading the computer trades that are coming in and driving this market lower now as we look at the product market we have seen some interesting dynamics there the middle cuts the higher value cuts are doing pretty well it's the ground beef that's really hurting the lower end of the cuts that are where we're really seeing a, a softening of demand. Uh, exports have really just kind of shut down, but imports are really roaring. And as we look at some of the latest official data for October, we see October imports of 306 million pounds on a carcass weight equivalent, up 17% on the month. Um, and... Uh, I'm sorry, up 17% from the same month last year. Uh, and as we look at Australian meat coming into the country, up 78% versus last year. So perhaps that's part of what's really hurting our product market and the board's really kind of selling off partially on that and partially on these uh, algos really moving this market lower. Well, we'll pay attention to the market trade after the December WASDI report is released on Friday, and we appreciate the conversation as always. Arlen Suderman with Stonex. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, Arlen, and we'll talk to you again soon. Look forward to it. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, joining us here on AOA. Coming up next, we'll take a look at news headlines before we wrap it up for the program today. Brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Back with more right after this.
Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, no Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Jake Niederer, a senior director of phosphate risk management with CHS, about how the fertilizer industry is changing. Jake, why is improving fertilizer efficiency vital to the industry and farmers? We've got government regulation that's requiring and mandating some of these changes. And then the other thing, too, is just from a historical perspective, farmers have always been the best stewards of the land. They've been the best environmentalists. And so as science evolves, as technology improves, they're at the forefront of wanting the solutions to make their ground the most profitable and productive as possible. Well, what are cooperatives doing to help farmers maximize their fertilizer investment? I think our place today is to work in hand in hand with these companies that are really pushing the agenda of research and developing new products, new technologies, or producing old products in new ways. We've got nitrogen production changes that are occurring to decrease the amount of carbon in that production process. And so we have a partnership with CF Industries that uh, we're very excited about. We try to utilize in our footprint nitrogen stabilizers that we have available today to help decrease the carbon footprint and to increase fertilizer efficiency. So some of those are phosphate fertilizer efficiency products as well as nitrogen stabilizers. And that's our role is to bring those forward and to make sure they're on hand for growers and that we do the right job of educating the growers of those opportunities that are out there. Well, Jake, as our listeners make crop nutrient plans for next year, what should they know about the fertilizer supply situation? Inventories in the United States, whether we're talking nitrogen fertilizers, phosphate fertilizers, are at some very low levels compared to historical normals. Production of domestic producers on the phosphate front have been down, and that's going to be a key factor that weighs on the buildup of stocks for this coming spring. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states.
information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for sticking with us here on the program today. As a really great show, great conversations with Kent Backus from the NCBA talking about the Paraguay and beef import issue. Sounds like maybe uh, we're going to get some legislation that could put a halt to that. We'll have to see. Also, a uh, great talk with Zippy Duvall, the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, and uh, markets with Arlen Suderman from Stonex there in the last segment as we are gearing up for a uh, another WASDE report and watching this overall market trade as we move through the month of December. Typically a quiet month, lower volume. Uh, it be interesting to see how these markets uh, continue to act as we near the end of the year. Let's take a look at a few news uh, notes before we wrap it up on today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Well, recent elections in Colombia could mean free trade between the nation and the U.S. is in jeopardy. That's why officials from Iowa traveled to the nation to promote the goods and quality of Iowa agricultural products recently. Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship Deputy Secretary Grant Menke was one of those who went on the trip, and he talks about the opportunity this trip offered. Well, we had uh, uh, organized by the Iowa Economic Development Authority a great opportunity for a 20-member delegation of Iowa ag commodity organizations and uh, protein uh, exporters uh, to uh, have a one-week trade mission to Columbia. Um, so it was a great team. We had folks from Iowa Corn, Iowa Soybeans, Iowa Farm Bureau, Iowa Pork, Iowa Beef Industry Council, Midwest Premier Foods and Berkwood Farms all together um, and spent a week in Bogota and Medellin and just to explore possibilities for how we can take a real free trade success story in Colombia and take it to the next level. Menke talks about the importance of Colombia to our trade portfolio. They are in the top 10 as customers for a lot of Iowa's goods. Colombia is our number four destination for U.S. corn, number three in ethanol, number six in pork, number eight in DDGs, also uh, ranking high in terms of soybean, soybean meal, beef as well. So we're, yeah, had a great opportunity to meet lots of people and businesses in Colombia and see how we can do more business to promote Iowa agriculture to the benefit of our farmers. Between 2012 and today, we've seen over 400% growth in exports of corn, of soybeans, and pork to Colombia. So the message is clear. Free trade works. Um, we are a quality, timely, safe, reliable supplier of high-quality products here in the state of Iowa. And so this opportunity showcased ways in which we can continue to even grow that partnership further in the years to come. Menke says it is a partnership that has been mutually beneficial. Colombia has seen increased purchases of goods from the United States as well. We've seen skyrocketing ag exports, exports from the U.S. to Colombia, but during that time, their exports to the United States have also skyrocketed. Uh, their leading products, they export over $2 billion worth of coffee to the United States and also over $1 billion of cut flowers. So we actually have a trade deficit with Colombia. They actually uh, send $700 million more million worth of ag products to us than we do to them. So it is a relationship that works both ways. After their latest elections, their new government leaders are wanting the country to become more self-sufficient. While that is a noble endeavor, Menke mentions that they have a long way to go to achieve that goal. They have had a recent administration change, and one of his pillars coming into office was that Colombia needs to be self-sufficient in corn production. Right now, their corn production is about 1.7 million metric tons. Their demand is approximately 7.5 to 8 million metric tons. So they are a long ways off in terms of being able to supply their corn. And I would just remind the viewers, they're producing 1.7 million metric tons. Our harvest that just wrapped up is about 386 million metric tons. So in terms of the scale here, um, they're, I mean, they're not even close when it comes to our ability to produce and supply that quality product. 
And once again, that is Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship Deputy Secretary Grant Mankey talking about a recent ag trip to Columbia. Well, data has never been more important to the dairy industry. Tim Trotter, CEO of Edge Dairy Cooperative in Wisconsin, says data helps make the best possible decisions on each operation. Data drives decisions, right? And that's the thing of it is, is when you can have real-time data, what's going on in your farm and how do you analyze that and respond to that is critical. We never had those tools before. And I think the dairy farmer of the past would have never dreamed that we would have this. But how do you keep in front of it? How do you keep relevant? How do you afford this? What's the ROI on this technology? And who on the farm has the time to do it? So I think there's a lot of great questions that are being asked. But again, I mean, at least we have options, right? I mean, this is all positive stuff. And that's why the new generation generation of dairy farmers will eat this up and really take that to the highest level possible in their farms. Getting bogged down in too much data could be a challenge for some farmers. It's a danger, but it comes back to what is relevant. What really is going to add value to the bottom line of my farm? And I think that's what most dairy farmers are putting their heads around. Not all of them are adaptable to some of the technology. Depending on the age of the farm and what their plan is for the future will determine how far they immerse themselves in the technology. But again, that's going to be a business decision that each individual farm will have to make. And once again, that's Tim Trotter from Edge Dairy Cooperative. Well, in 2022, more than a third of U.S. dollars spent on domestically produced food went to food service establishments, which includes restaurants and other food away from home outlets. At 34.1 cents per food dollar in 2022, the food service share increased 1.6 cents from 2021 to reach its highest value in the USDA Economic Research Services Food Dollar Series. Industry groups add value by transforming the inputs they purchase from other industry groups and selling their output at higher prices. For instance, food service establishments prepare meals using food bought from distributors, such as those in the wholesale trade industry group, and utilities such as gas and electricity bought from establishments in the energy industry group. Now, prices paid by customers include the value added by the restaurant and the cumulative value added by all establishments before the restaurant. Annual shifts in the food dollar shares among industry groups occur for various reasons, including changes in the balance of food at home and away from home. So again, food service claiming the largest share of U.S. food dollars in 2022, more than a third of those dollars spent. All right, well, we are out of time here on AOA today. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov.